everyone, and welcome to MX Real Talk Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Peter, David, and Carolyn, and Peter will be moderating today's podcast, so I will pass it off to him. Thank you so much, Gabriela. Talofa lava. My name is Peter Tui Olosenga Silva, and I go by the pronouns he, him, his. I'm a cisgender gay male, and I am currently in my office in Kailua Kona on the beautiful island of Hawaii. I'm the executive director of Kumukai Health and Wellness, an aid service organization for the largest and most rural region of our state. And I'm so happy to be here for May 19th, for today is our National Asian and Pacific Islander HIV Awareness Day. Um, And it really is to break the silence and end the shame about HIV and AIDS in our Pacific Island communities and really encourage people to get tested. Um, and this first started up with the Banyan Tree Project in 2005, which uh, I think myself and Auntie Carolyn had um, been a part of. So it's really exciting to see how this has grown. Um, today, I am very lucky to have my cohorts, Carolyn Kuali and Dave Utuone. Um, they are outstanding members of our Pacific Island community. Um, and I'd love for you folks to introduce yourselves, maybe uh, your name, where you grew up and how you got involved with NMAC. So I'll start with you, Carolyn. Oh, I was going to say beauty before age or age before beauty. (laughs) Beauty all around. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, aloha, everyone. Um, I'm Carolyn Kualii. Yeah, let me think here. I've been involved in HIV work for the past 30 plus years. Started off um, on the island of Maui um, at the Maui AIDS Foundation as the Native Hawaiian case manager, along with my cohort, Carol Makai Nye, who was on Oahu at the time, it was called Life Foundation. Uh, We were the first Native Hawaiian case managers that was funded through a, um, let me think, what was it? A SPINS project, um, which was a partnership between the uh, Native American AIDS Prevention Center, known as NAPSI, and HRSA, and also Papa Ololokahi, which was the Native Hawaiian healthcare system. So that was my beginning journey um, that lasted 10 years where I did direct service. And then I was recruited by NAPSI um, to do national work as a capacity building specialist through cooperative agreements with CDC and HRSA. And so I did that for a number of years. um, And that for me was really an amazing journey. I, I like to think that some of the best times of my life was doing HIV case management work. Um, My caseload was about 60 plus native Hawaiian Pacific Islander and American Indian clients. um, And it was just amazing. Um, And I still recall many people in my mind that um, I was there while they passed or helped them on their journey to recovery. And Oh, my pronouns. Well, you know, from a cultural perspective, I like to go by auntie, tutu, grandma, um, mostly auntie by my cohorts. 
So that that's me in a nutshell. And I'm currently residing in Berkeley, California. Um, I came here when I took the job at NAPSI and I'm semi-retired and I'm soon, I can't believe it. I'm turning 70 years old no in way. a couple of months. No yeah. Way. Can you believe it? You, Cause you knew me, <laughs> Peter, when I was really young, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, Don't I can't believe good. it, but yeah, I'm turning 70. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a beautiful Polynesian skin. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. And curves. Polynesian skin and curves. And the curves. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Um, Also, our guest today is David Utsuone, and I would love for you to meet him. Uh, Please introduce yourself, Dave. Hello, Falaba, everyone. Uh, As Peter mentioned, I'm David. Um, uh, My pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm coming to this broadcast um, from Tongva in Serrano land, presently known as San Bernardino, California. Um, I have been living with HIV um, just about to make eight years. Um, 2014, I was diagnosed. um, And that really uh, was the onset of my advocacy work. Um, Just seeing the lack of supportive resources and um, especially data uh, that serves uh, Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders, I think that really ignited uh, the advocacy in me. <laughs> um, I came to this NMAC space um, really through Auntie Carolyn. <laughs> I consider her um, uh, one of the giants whose shoulders I stand on. Um, I consider all of this work really legacy work, and it's folks like um, Auntie Caroline and uh, Peter, who have uh, really laid the foundation for us advocates now to um, stand up and um, just continue their their work of advocacy for um, our Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander communities. But thank you so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> oh, mahalo, David. Oh, we are taking you on tour so you can say those great things about us anytime we're around. <laughs> <laughs> we really, really appreciate it. And it's so nice to see our um, younger folks being able to to feel comfortable and advocate. Um, you know, it just was not like that back in the day. Everybody lived so in the closet, especially in our culture. You know, don't shame the family. It was, it was really, really hard. And we had to do a lot of things, you know, undercover and in in Kauna, as we call it in Hawaiian, behind veiled messages. So um, I'm I'm glad we are here today, uh, certainly, and honored to have you folks here. So um, I guess I wanted to start off about, you know, like HIV statistics for our Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander community. Um, you know, it's very, it's relatively low to other ethnicities. So I'm wondering um, from each of you, why should the nation even take notice of our people? Well, what, one of the things that I, that I think that um, many people do not understand, especially people in the HIV arena, and I'm I'm even going to throw in there, you know, people that are, that do national um, work, you know, whether it's federal or just regional national kind of work. 
Um, they're really unfamiliar with who we are and our status relationship to the United States government. Because um, many of, you know, many Pacific Islanders, um, people may consider are um, immigrants, but in actuality, they're really, I mean, according to their relationship with the United States government, they're not immigrants. And they have special um, considerations and relationship with the U.S. governments um, due to many different historical um, events that happened that created the, this special relationship. And, I mean, we can go on for hours and explain because, number one, you know, many of us come from different island nations. And so each island nation has a history of their own when it comes to their relationship to the United States government and the um, responsibilities that the United States government has to these different island communities. And, you know, so I think a lot of times when I'm in an arena, you know, where HIV is being spoken, we're not taken seriously and people do not understand that we have a special relationship that the United States government is supposed to oversee and are supposed to listen to our voices. Um, and so, you know, to me that, you know, that is a, a, a barrier um, for us um, is the lack of people understanding our relationship to the United States government and, and what we are, what the United States government is supposed to do for us as, you know, as Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders that have these special um, relationships. I think we live in a statistic and uh, data driven society <laughs> um, for us as Pacific Islanders trying to respond to things like COVID 19, like um, HIV. Um, within, you know, our communities, it's hard to substantiate our claims of how it's impacting our communities when we don't have um, the right data. <laughs> and it's very hard to find um, clear data sets. Um, so I can use California as, <laughs> I guess, um, an example. There's 58 counties within California. Only 14 of them uh, disaggregate our data or um, have our own identifier as Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander uh, for their public health data. And so what that means is that um, the other 58 outside of these 14 um, still aggregate us into this API identifier. And um, well, not to take away from the history that went into developing that API identifier, moving us out of otherness, um, giving us a box um, on things like the census, on health forms. Um, I know that there was a lot of coalition building between um, the Asian and Asian American communities and uh, Pacific Islander leaders um, back in the early uh, 90s when API was, um, that identifier was first uh, developed. Um, I think um, we're moving out of where uh, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders really need um, we really need our own data sets. Um, it's very hard, uh, especially uh, funding allocations, 
um, it's very competitive um, and not having um, data to substantiate uh, why we need our own resources um, to fund the work that we do and how we want to do it. Um, yeah, I think I think that's why uh, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander data is important. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Definitely when it comes to the statistics of our people, I mean, it's not dis it's completely just aggregated into big groups, um, multiple races also, you know, sort of uh, make our numbers smaller. Um, an interesting fact that I was looking at that even though new diagnoses, we were, you know, less than all of the uh, most of the other ethnicities that in 2005, we had the high, like the third highest estimated rate of HIV diagnosis in the United States. And one in four of our people are living with HIV and are totally unaware of their infection. So even um, when we see our Native Hawaiian people come in for testing, um, usually they wait until they're symptomatic. And if they are symptomatic, um, it's usually they've had it for a long time and have been too scared to go in and get the test, you know, and we certainly we don't want that to get to that point. We have life-saving medications for our people and we want to get them into treatment as soon as possible. So thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> so what was your folks' experience growing up in a Native Hawaiian household or a Samoan household? What is like one of the happy memories that you have that you would like to to share with folks that maybe don't understand or haven't been around our Native Hawaiian and Pacific Island community. So I'll start with you, Dave. What is a, what is a great memory of you growing up in a Samoan household? Um, <laughs> it was always crowded. <laughs> uh, <laughs> multi-generational, multi-family home, um, which is pretty typical for our folks. Um, but I loved um, having my uncles and aunties all under one roof, all of my siblings, I'm one of six, and then my two parents, my grandparents, uh, we all grew up um, together under one roof. And I, I think that was, um, I think reflecting back, that was like a means of survival for us. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, it was that. It was being able to talk story with like, you know, my grandma and then, um, you know, just pass down that that um those stories of like our family and how we journeyed across the Moana. Um being able to hear that and um have that with me, I think that drives a lot of how I navigate through the world. And so yeah, definitely that. It was definitely a, a blessing and at times a burden. <laughs> oh my gosh, you, you know, as as I was listening to David, I was just all kinds of different thoughts came to my mind, memories, and um, I'd like to share two of them with you. Um, in 1959, um, I came across the Pacific Ocean in, in, a, in an airplane, you know, I, during a time when you still had to chew gum to kind of, you know, because there wasn't that, what is it, the air, you know, the, in the airplane, um, yeah, pesterize, yeah. And, um, and I remember that as, you know, as a little girl coming across the ocean um, to move to California. I was raised by my 
my maternal grandmother, who is full-blooded Hawaiian, Ka'ena Kuali'i. And she retired. She worked at Barber's Point, and she retired. She was a um, civilian military employee. Um, And so we moved to California because her oldest son um, got married and settled in Southern California. So we joined them after her retirement. But I think one of the things I remember is another person that came with us was one of my relatives. Um, at the time, we called that relative um, um, uh, Sunny Boy, who later took on the name as Auntie Leilani. And um, Auntie Leilani was our um, was a Mahuwahine, my mother's youngest um, sibling. And I remember Leilani and I getting in an old car at that time. I think it was a Rambler, if I recall. I don't even think they make those cars anymore. And we were driving down Highway 39 in Orange County and headed towards Huntington Beach. And we were so excited, you know, because growing up in Hawaii, you know, the ocean is your life. You spend 90% of your time in, you know, at the beach. And I remember us jumping in the ocean and the water was cold and you couldn't really see. And we came out, we had tar on our bodies. Ah, uh, yes. That is my memory <laughs> of my first California beach experience. Tar everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other, mem- the other memory was also with Leilani. And, you know, as, as we were growing up, my siblings and my cousins, as we were growing up like David, you know, everybody grew up and we all slept like in the living room on the floor and I remember when Leilani would come over and watch us, Leilani would love to listen to Catherine Kuhlman. And I don't know if you guys know who Catherine Kuhlman was, but Catherine Kuhlman was this faith healer. And he, he, um, she loved to listen to Catherine Kuhlman. But at nighttime... Leilani loved to listen to this show called Unshackled. Now, I have no idea why Leilani liked listening to these Christian like um, shows, but it was like a um, soap opera on radio, and you know, and it was stories about people and you know, and and their life challenges and how they became Christians, right? And I remember we would all be laying on the floor sleeping and. And Leilani would turn on the radio and we would listen to Unshackled. And so those were really fond memories um, growing up um, because Leilani made us laugh. Um, You know, I grew up in a very poor environment, you know, to where food security was an issue for us. And we were evicted a lot from apartments because of lack of rent money. Um, but Leilani always brought laughter into our lives. So those are fond memories growing up in a Pacific Islander family. <laughs> That's so funny. We just all have those memories of it just piled on the floor when some, you know, funeral or wedding or birthday. Like we all just come together. So um, going back to HIV and HIV awareness, how do you think HIV has affected you in the context of your own community? And maybe I'll start with uh, you, Dean. 
just living with it, I can definitely say that, you know, I, I feel like it came in a wave um, with my group of friends. Uh, we were all Pacifica. And, um, yeah, it was, there's lots of loss still associated with it. I, I know a lot of campaigns and, um, and things, um, they talk about HIV and AIDS as, though it's not a death sentence. And, and I do understand that. And I, I believe that messaging is important, but, uh, for my own direct experiences, you know, I, I have lost friends. And, um, you know, is within this decade. And so I, I see those messages and I, I affirm them, but I, I also know my own, uh, direct lived experiences, you know, um, yeah, I still, um, correlate HIV to death, um, and loss and seeing, um, you know, mothers having to bury their sons. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's how I see it in my own community, uh, with, in my own group of friends. But, um, it's still, it's still fatal to us. Thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy. Um, I think when we seen, especially in living in Hawaii, um, with when COVID came out, um, it sort of brought out all of those things in our culture um, around health and death and um, certainly um, it was very, very difficult for us not to give lay, not to hug, not to kiss. And um, when it sort of ravaged through our community, you know, we did have to bury some of our family. And, you know, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that, you know. And I think luckily the good thing with HIV is now that medications um, have you living a long, healthy life. It's like manageable disease like um, diabetes, but I can hear it from you, especially in our community. And there's still that strong association um, with death, even though that is not the case necessarily. Um, so, so thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, Auntie Carolyn, what about for you? How has um, HIV affected you in the context of your own community? For me, I, maybe it's because I've been doing this for a long time. I've I've seen how things have shifted over time. You know, I was in I was involved during a time when my job was to help people prepare for their death. Um, you know, where I spent my working hours meeting with infusing infusion services and hospice care, and meeting with families or trying to protect you know, my clients from family members, um, for whatever reason, you know, because they didn't want their status to be known or, or they had a partner and their families didn't want the partner to be involved. Um, you know, so I come from, you know, from a time when that was, that was pretty much what was going on, you know, and then I, and then I saw the turn, you know, when the, when the first medications, you know, after AZT came out, 
and we begin to see people, you know, like they would refer to as the Lazarus, you know, thing where people came back from the dead, you know. I mean, I saw people with like zero CD4 count to, you know, like 200 counts and, and alive and well when when they thought just a few days before that that they were going to die. So I got to see all that. But one of the things that I really, really experienced was resilience. Resilience among the people that I was so privileged to work with. And how even though they went through that sadness and that feeling of loss, and they came to a point in their life where they began to celebrate who they were as human beings, not as people living with HIV or AIDS, but but being able to celebrate who they were as people and, and begin to find freedom in just living. And that's, you know, that's what I recall. Um, and that's, you know, I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm now some of the work I'm doing is, you know, is around HIV and aging and, you know, to hear to you know, to to be with people that have, that are long term survivors, to see their resilience for me is special. Um, and, and for them to joke around, you know, at times. I mean, not that they're not serious about certain things, but to, for them to joke around. You know, like I had a previous client that called me. Uh, you know, I got I was on Maui during the peak of the COVID um, pandemic. And he called me, um, he was, he lives on the big island. He called me and he says, oh my gosh, he goes, I just had all my teeth pulled and now I can't get any teeth because of COVID. And, and he made a joke out of it. He goes, how many epidemics do I need to go through in my lifetime? You know, and it was, you know, but, you know, but it was, you know, even though it was a hardship for him he found a way of like making lemonade out of lemons. Right. So, and so, yeah, so it's the resilience, it's the resilience that, that I celebrate. And, um, and also I, I continue to celebrate. And in, I, I told myself early on that I never wanted to forget the faces of, of those clients of mine that passed that I might forget their names, but I wanted to remember their faces and celebrate the fact that they were, they were alive and, you know, and, and special people. So anyway, that, that's how I feel about it. You know, how it has affected me, how the community has affected me and in my community. And I have to say that, you know, that many, the I have found in my own life, the HIV community to be, my family, my community. Um, I have made many, many friends, colleagues, you know, I mean, like, you know, like you, Peter, you know, we've known each other for how many decades now because of this work. And, and, you know, I, I think that we see each other as being like family and, you know, and we're now creating this new family member, David, you know, that has come into our space um, and joined us. So, you know, I also see it as, as, a, as a family. 
Yeah, and Ohana is so core to who we are as people. And if we lose our biological Ohana over something like HIV or being transgendered or um, sexuality, it's, it's huge for us. And so what we do is we automatically gravitate to form our own Ohana and Ainga with, with folks uh, going through similar things. Um, you see it a lot in the in the like drag houses or um in this work that we do we just naturally just peel you with with one another so if um you know we hear that talk about being at the table and you know i don't even necessarily know if we are at the table but if we are at the table you know are we even being heard and can, can I speak to that? Yeah, go for that. Go for <laughs> I just want to let you know I've been at many tables. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the past <laughs> <I'm>, 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and do you and, feel that you're being heard, um, you know, for people? I know you're no, always I, standing up for us and fighting I for am. us. Well, you know what? You know, to be I quite honest with you, you, I am heard. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I speak out, you know. Now... Whether it penetrates or not, I'm not particularly sure. Chances are not all the time. And many times I feel like people are saying, oh, my God, here she goes again on her soapbox. Um, but, you know, I, I continue to be that broken record. And I have found over time that I've become successful. You know, I have been able to move mountains because I have chosen to be that broken record or, you know, or that person that people just feel like uncomfortable around. And, you know, not that I'm not a friendly person. I aloha everybody pretty much. You know, there's probably a few people I don't want to aloha. Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, I just, you know, when you when you were talking about, you know, numbers. You know, one of the, one of the things that that I try and and hold on to is okay. So we have small numbers, you know, and because of our small numbers, you know, we fall on deaf ears with when we're at the table or not at the table. But how can we capital cap you know capitalize on those small numbers? You know, what is our strategy? to make those small numbers work for us. And, you know, so that's kind of one of the approaches I try and take. And, and then also, you know, like how do we partner, collaborate, win over, you know, those champions that are going to see, you know, like look out for us, you know, for example, you know, like, um, you know, one of our strongest, um, champions is the native american community and you know so you know and you know because you know i've been able to work in that community um and build these these bonds and relationships you know like one of one of the best supporters that we have coming out of the native community happens to be the director of hiv and hep c at indian health service (laughs) you know and so when he's you know, so when he's at these meetings, he always brings up us, our community, to be included yeah, in the shout conversation. Out to you, Rick. Yeah, <laughs> if you're you know, so yeah, so you know, so how do we, you know, so I think it's about strategizing and finding those 
comrades that are going to go to fight for us when we're not in spaces where we can fight for ourselves? Or how do we make ourselves present when we are at the table? And I, I think, you know, that's, that's something, you know, that I feel has always been my kuleana and that I would like to pass on to somebody else now, um, you know, after so many years of doing this, you know, not that I won't stop, but I just feel that it's time to pass the torch over and help somebody else to be able to do that work now. And we are so grateful to you for every time that you stood up and at the table and spoke out for us. It has done tremendous things for our community because we could get lost so easily. Um, so mahalo, mahalo Nui. Um, Dave, for you, you know, at this existential table that we're talking about, what would you like folks to know on a national level uh, from your perspective and your experience? Just to piggyback off of what Auntie Caroline was saying about um, just solidarity, I think um, the way that things are run, particularly here in my region, um, we are very much at a grassroots level. Um, we can't seem to tap into funding uh, to address HIV um, with the organization I work for. Um, our uh, targeted demographic is Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders. But um, I think the beautiful thing about that, uh, or I guess the silver lining to not being able to be uh, funded or really supported by a lot of these larger institutions um, is the solidarity from um, here in my region, uh, Black and Latina and Latinx uh, led organizations that are, are able to tap into those resources. Um, I run a program called My Lipongi Sa, which is someone for Out of the Darkness. Um, and it's, uh, it's a culmination of things, but it, um, we usually hold an annual conference um, here in a community center right in the heart of San Bernardino City. And um, it has been, um, it's for Pacific Islanders to come and just destigmatize conversations around sexual health and mental wellness. Um, and there's been organizations led uh, by Black folk, or leaders like uh, Gabriel Maldonado with True Evolution, Pastor Benita Ramsey with Rainbow Pride Youth Alliance. These folks have consistently showed up um, for our uh, Pacifica community here in my region. And it's it's a beautiful thing to see that that solidarity. And I know um, we'll eventually, you know, break that glass ceiling and um, get our folks the resources they need. But um, for other organizations that um, I guess it's that are tapped into these resources that um, we aren't successful at tapping into ourselves, I think, um, I think, I guess, just um, doing some self-examination on your organization, uh, the demographics you're serving, and really making an uh, intentional um, effort to see um, if it really is all-inclusive, <laughs> if there are Pacifica folks um, within your client base that you're serving and um, reach out to us trusted messengers if you see that there is a, a lack. Um, solidarity has been 
really important. I love that. Yeah, definitely. And please, folks, please have food at the table. We love food. Somehow we didn't get to food yet at all <laughs> with us, but it's a huge <laughs> gathering factor. Uh, um, and being that today is uh, HIV Awareness Day for our Pacific Island people to end stigma and also encourage testing, um, what would you, what would you say, Dave, um, for folks that are afraid to get tested or um, don't know about getting tested or kind of unsure? Um, what would be a message for for our Pacific people? We come from a collectivist culture. And so I think it's about understanding where you are or what you mean to your community, what you mean to your family, what you mean to your Aina. Um, and that um, the first step in getting yourself healthy or keeping yourself healthy is knowing your status. Um, it should be as, um, as routine as, you know, any of the other blood work they do on us, um, any of the other... And they're always checking us for diabetes, cholesterol. Like, uh, I think it, it it should be as normalized as that. Um, and it, it's a matter of, I don't know, making sure you're right so that you can support your family and your your community. What about for you, Auntie Carolyn? What about for those that of our Pacific Island people living with HIV? What would be your your message of of hope for them? Well, I think there is a lot of hope compared to the earlier days, you know, before it was a death sentence and there there were very little um, medications available. I mean, there was a time there was no medications, you know, and the only the only thing to protect yourself was a condom and, you know, and using the, a condom correctly, you know, so um, or having, you know, clean works, um, you know, now we have syringe and needle exchange programs we have access to prep um you know so there's you know if you are tested positive you know there there are programs to help you to get into care and to get on um, medications if you can't afford the medications or don't have insurance you know get a hold of your you know your local health department or AIDS service organization and and ask them to help you to access, you know, um, programs like uh, drug assistance programs through your state health department. So, you know, so I, I see that, you know, that this time we have many opportunities, um, you know, for people living with HIV and people um, that are trying to stay HIV um, you know, um, negative. Um, and so to me is, you know, don't be afraid to take advantage of these resources. Um, and you know, as I I know that for one thing, you know, our community, you know, native Hawaiian Pacific Island communities, we tend not to like to go to the doctor, even though for, for most of us, we need to go see a doctor because of our, you know, our high rates of diabetes, hypertension, and cancer, um, you know, so I, I think that we just need to make, you know, um, 
HIV, like David was saying, just routine testing. And, um, but, you know, that for me, it's, you know, the younger generation that, you know, sometimes I think younger generation feels like, you know, nothing can touch them, you know, and, um, and that's not true. And so, you know, take advantage of things like PrEP and other forms of prevention if, you know, if you're, if you can be at risk for HIV. I know for, for me, uh, when I was working at Life Foundation, um, there was no involvement of our Hawaiian or Pacific Island people in prevention. It was very individualistic. And what I did, um, I was tasked with uh, CDC to do a community level intervention for Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders. And what I did was turn to Utopia San Francisco. And so I flew up there, my boss flew me up there. I saw what they were doing. And, you know, it really hit me that we first are our cult, identify as our culture, as as Polynesians, as Pacific Islanders, um, <clears throat> that is so strong within us. And from there, if you're able to celebrate that and bring folks uh, together around that, then what we did was kind of slide in some HIV messages around testing. And then some of our HIV positive community members would come in and join the circle and they would talk about their experiences. And then it ended up being it became successful, but I truly owe that to Utopia San Francisco, who was like the mothership that started it all. Um, unbeknownst to them, they were just trying to be uh, Pacific Islanders, finding a space for themselves on the continent. But it really sparked this entire movement um, for our people and getting smarter about HIV. And I also want to add, we do have a, a we are up for Preppy Awards, I'm hoping. So go to kumukaihealth.org. We are featuring our local uh, folks in our Prep is Pono campaign. And Pono means to be right with oneself, to do something correctly. And it stands for uh, peace. The P is peace of mind. The O is one pill. The N is 99% effective. And the other O is once a day. So go That's check awesome. that out. awesome. Yeah. I love it's, that. It's a great campaign. I'm sure you folks will I, love it. I do want to say, you know, I think culture is prevention. And and I think, yeah, and I think that's, you know, especially for those of us that come from, you know, Native communities that have that been doing this work, that, that's kind of the strategy that many of us have incorporated in prevention messages and in prevention intervention programs and even in treatment programs, um, you know, where culture is, you know, is what is our prevention and our healing. Culture is prevention. Hashtag that. Uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up here? Well, I, um, I'd like to make an announcement um, on, I think it's June 11th and 12th of this year. The AIDS Memorial Quilt will be on display in San Francisco Golden Gate Park, and it's it's going to be huge. Um, and the organization, the nonprofit that I um, started and run, we're an arts and 
and cultural organization, um, we have been invited to have a booth there. So we're going to be, um, I, I was um, fortunate to help with um, when they curated the American Indian um, and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander online exhibit of some quilts. Um, I was part of that. And so they asked me to be um, one of the organizations that will be there. So we're going to be celebrating some of the quilts that belong to the Native community um, within our booth and then also featuring um, some of the best practice um, programs that have been happening nationwide, um, which, uh, Peter, I would love to have you know some of your um, materials there at that booth. Um, that Pono one sounds awesome. Would love to to do that. So um, anyway, um, you know, everybody mark your calendars if you can get your your selves to San Francisco. This is going to be um, an epic um, event, and I mean the, the it's going the the Robin William Field is going to be covered with quilts. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so, so powerful. I've always wanted to see that in person. What's the date again? June 11th and 12th. It's a Saturday and Sunday in San Francisco Golden Gate Park at the Robin Williams um, Field. And it's it's all online if you go to the AIDS Memorial Quilt um, website. All the information is there. And, you know, for those of you that um, make it, to the event please stop by our booth great awesome i can't wait that's so good uh david any last words um just thank you all um for the space it has been a really great opportunity to just share about with all of you yeah it's this has been my honor as well i'm so grateful to have you folks here um all right to uh, Everyone out there, happy uh, Asian and Pacific Islander HIV Awareness Day. And I turn it back over to you, Gabriela. Thank you, you all. That was amazing. This is great. (laughs) 